Good morning, Northbrook. Welcome. So glad to see your faces this morning. Today we will be reading from 1 Peter verses, oh, it was chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. If you don't have a copy of God's Word at your home, please go to the back table. Um, there, there's one available for you, and we'd love to t- for you to take that home as our gift to you. 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, what a joy it is to be with you as it is every morning where we get to uh, open God's Word and see what He'd have for us. I wanted to mention a couple things at the beginning. Uh, this last week, uh, I think it was Monday through Wednesday, actually it was in Denver at Acts 29 National Conference. So if you're not familiar, uh, Acts 29 is part of the network that we are a part of as a church. Um, and one of the things that, you know, I don't tend to think about things until I'm like doing it. You know, people are like, we have a big vacation coming, and like, oh, how are you, are you excited? And I'm like, no, I'm not. It will be great, but I just, there's so many other things to do before we get there. Um, And so when I go to things like that, I get there, and I'm kind of sometimes surprised by how encouraged I was. Like, man, it is actually uh, quite encouraging to gather with, uh, you know, 1,300 people that love Jesus and are following him and uh, worship together and hear from God's word together. And so it, it was really encouraging. Um, and it made me even just excited to be a part of Acts 29, for the, to, to be together in uh, seeing God's glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, uh, that, that we are in that work together with many other brothers and sisters that are a part of this network uh, and brothers and sisters that aren't a part of this network as well. Uh, but it was really encouraging. Um, and then as you can imagine, well, it was two things. One, like, you know, it's a church planning conference. People are like, oh, how's, how's it going? How's the church? Or, or what's your story? When did y'all plant? And so I just, I, uh, Will Faber was with me, so he got to see this on repeat. But I love just saying, oh, we planted in March of 2020. And it usually takes about half a second. And then 100% of the response is that. It's laughter. It's every time. It's, there's, there's never a different response. It's always just, whoa, and, just, uh, and it's just fun to relive that again and again. Um, and then, uh, but as uh, talked about how church was going, and I, maybe I've shared this before, but I just wanted to share it with you again. I shared this with the men's night last night uh, with the guys, is what my common response is, man, by God's grace, he's let me be a part of a church that I love going to that I just enjoy getting to go to. I enjoy getting to come here on Sundays, uh, enjoy getting to go to things like men's night or whatever we do. I look forward to those moments and look forward to gathering with God's people. And you may or may not know this, but that's not a given. I know a lot of church planners, and, and by God's grace, that is, you know, I'm not, we're not the only, you know, story where that's true, but, it, but it's just not a given. Um, and so I do say that, and I don't take it for granted, and I'm, I'm super thankful. And, and what that is, to me, is, I mean, the Spirit's kindness to just move in us and, and make us that kind uh, of people. And so I, I hope and pray that continues to uh, be our story um, 
I'm just realizing my iPad's cracked. That must have happened sometime this morning uh, with a kid that was playing on it. Um, so, but we'll see if we can get through this somehow with a cracked iPad. It'll be fine. Um, but this, this is the, um, what's that? Oh, no, I'm good. It's, it'll be fine. Thank you. Connor's always worried about my iPad situation, and if I have enough batteries, and he's like, you can use mine. I'm like, dude, it's fine. We'll be good. Uh, so, uh, but th that is even an example, like, what I want to talk about is, like, the highs and lows of life and how extreme they can be. I think e even as I was uh, this, you know, went Monday through Wednesday, and uh, so Thursday kind of sat down to more fully kind of work on this sermon, and one of the things that I even realized there uh, was it was just one of those mornings where like just everything was the worst. Like that's what I kept, I that was the phrase that was going on in my mind that morning was like, this is the worst. Uh, it was like, it was just, I didn't get much sleep. So it was a rough morning. Lily was being a little difficult getting to school. So that was hard. I lost my phone for like most of the morning and I needed it for different things at different times to like do what I was trying to do. I was trying to sign on to something and I got sent a code that I needed from, you know, it was just one of those mornings where nothing was working. Uh, uh, and everything uh, was kind of the worst. And, um, and I, I say that because we've all had those days. No, one, no one's like, oh, I wonder what that's like. We, we've all had those days. We've all had those weeks or maybe even those years uh, where it just feels like, man, everything just feels really hard and feels like it's not going my way. And I think about the highs and lows because th that was Thursday. And like I just said, just like 24 hours before that, I was with brothers and sisters worshiping Jesus. In particular, like the first night, the, this guy preached on uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, like my favorite, one of my favorite passages. Uh, and I was just, the spirit was kind of just to remind me that the, of the sufficiency of Jesus, particularly in the struggles and the trials of life that I was facing at that time. The struggles, the trials, the things that I was stressed coming into that conference about, I was reminded, man, Jesus really is sufficient. Uh, and I felt the Spirit just kind of wash that truth over me uh, on Monday. And then here I am on Thursday, like, this is all the worst. How am I going to get through this? Um, and uh, this, even that little example is why I personally struggle with the question, like, how are you doing? It's a great question. We should ask each other that question. And people genuinely ask me. You know, sometimes we flippantly ask each other and we don't really want to know. Um, and, but we, people genuinely ask. And I still struggle because I'm like, Man, there's so much to sum up in the last few days that I've, I don't really know how I'm doing right now. It takes me a little while to process uh, what's going on because the highs and lows can go back and forth uh, so quickly. Um, and this is one of the things I love about preaching is that I'm forced to wrestle with the scriptures in the midst of that. Um, now, you shouldn't feel this way, but some of you might feel a little freedom to have a gap in wrestling with the scriptures as you go through the highs and lows of life. And uh, to be honest with you, if I wasn't preaching, I may feel that same freedom too. I, I hope not, but I might. But when I'm preaching, when I'm wrestling with the text, I, I'm, I'm having to go to it and I'm experiencing life. So I'm having to wrestle with the scriptures. And then I'm obviously hope I never preach any scripture that's detached from those realities. Um, and to be honest with you, that's why we constantly try to resource you and try to get you in the word and get you into the scriptures is because when we do that and as we do that and as we desire that for you, it's to bring your depression to those moments. It's to bring your doubts to those moments. It's to bring the stressors and the anxiety of the day as you go to uh, the scriptures that we're not divorced from that, but we, we do those things together. And if the scriptures don't have something to say about our actual lives. 
about those highs and lows, about those stresses, then what are we even doing here? Uh, we should eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Uh, but, but the scriptures do, that's, that's why they were written, to real people in real places uh, that really needed to understand uh, what Jesus had to say uh, about their lives. Um, so now, speaking of highs and lows, my, my iPad keeps turning off, and so uh, don't worry, Connor, I'm still good. It was just on personal, like, do not disturb, so I think we're good now. I just didn't know how a way to fix it without commentating on it. So, um, so um, um, sorry, now I have to bounce back to what in the world we were doing. Um, so here we go. So where you're at on that spectrum, the highs and lows of life, your iPad's cracked, not that big of a deal, not the best thing. Uh, you're, you're struggling with despair. You're struggling with the depths of struggle. Wherever you're at on that spectrum, First Peter has something uh, to tell us. And, and the, the big idea we have to, for today is actually, it's so simple. Um, it's something we're all familiar with. It's something our, the, really all of the world would believe, well, most of the world would believe what I'm about to, to say is the big idea of First Peter. It's, it's not incredibly uh, profound, but it's just this simple statement. That, that right thoughts lead to right action. Right thoughts lead to right behavior. Right, right thoughts lead to, to the right action uh, that God wants for us, that, that we desire for our life. Uh, right thoughts lead to right action. Let's say it together. It's so simple. It's so fun. Uh, right thoughts lead to right action. Again, not profound, um, but isn't it always these simple statements that we find so difficult to actually do. Uh, and, and we constantly find ourselves unable to live by them as we hope we would. Like it's not a complicated statement, it's not even controversial, um, but yet we find ourselves often unable uh, to live up to it. Um, and, and God's word obviously is gonna fill in this statement with just eternal divine perfect wisdom that I hope we have uh, ears to hear. And so verse 13 is, is kind of these, these right thoughts that First Peter is gonna uh, point us to, where it says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this therefore, um, let's see if we can all finish this common preacher line. When you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to find out what it is. Yes, I needed help because I've heard so many sermons that I can barely say that with a straight face nowadays. It's like, it's like us preachers got to find something else to say. But it's a super helpful Bible reading tool. It, it's, it's, it's incredibly true that when you do see a therefore in the Bible, it's pregnant with everything that has just been said uh, before that statement. And that's it. He's, uh, Peter is linking uh, these ideas. And so uh, we need to understood that this therefore points back to all the realities that we should actually fill our thoughts with when we're talking when he's talking about preparing our mind and being sober-minded this therefore links it to all uh, of that um, and I, I think even as we talk about right thoughts leading to right action uh, if you're familiar with therapy at all this is just cognitive behavior therapy that's what that stands for it's just like the, the world has figured out when we think wrongly we do wrongly and if we can fix our wrong thinking uh, then we tend to do better um, but I think Hopefully, although we can agree with that, there should be a different way that Christians even go about that 
I would imagine we would know, uh, than just a typical cognitive behavior therapist. Um, and this is just full of the wisdom of our day. Like, what does the wisdom of our day have to offer? And what do, do the scriptures ha have to offer? And how are those things different? I just went to, like, wisdom of the day and Googled that. And this is just some quotes that kind of came. I think they'll be on the slide for you. Um, so, make each day your masterpiece. John Wooden. Is that a coach? I, I shouldn't. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, I used to watch sports. I had so many kids, and then. Uh, your imagination is your preview of life's coming attractions. Someday is not a day of the week. I really like that one. That one was fun. Um, it's time to start living the life you've imagined. The best revenge is massive success. That sounds like a life full of bitterness to me. But, um, you know, uh, he was very successful. Uh, and here, here's the thing about those. They're... they're uh, they're decent statements, and they, we can actually, us as people that love and follow Jesus, can get some inspiration from those statements. But as Christians, and I'm just going to go to it here in a second, there should be a different feeling and a different substance when what God says actually fills in what we're trying to think about uh, in our mind. Um, what should be most influential in our thoughts, in, in our thoughts should be the stuff of 1 Peter. Uh, so look in verses 1 and 2. We remember in 1 Peter, if you have your Bible open, that we're elect exiles, that we're eternally known by God the Father, that we're sanctified by the Spirit, that we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. If you look in 1 Peter 1, 3, you see that we're born again to this living hope. In verse 4, we see that this hope is actually imperishable and unfading and never goes away. In verse 5, we see that all of this is guarded by God's power. And, and, and there's so much more. But, but do we feel the difference in those two? Like, like quotes that feel okay and feel encouraging and can be inspiring to some degree and God's eternal truth. Um, if we're thinking about having right thoughts, we have to be thinking about reality. And again, as Christians, the scriptures tell us what is real. And so there's good things that can come from just good, helpful thoughts, uh, but, but either what we believe is real or it isn't. And if it is, there's nothing better to fill our thoughts with and focus our mind on. Uh, these are those eternal truths that should be encouraging our mind. Um, and so because all of this, because of what God has done for us in these verses, and we have received it by faith, now look at the rest of 13 after the therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. And th these two statements are, are really actually like a kind of adverbs for that setting our hope on the grace that's going to be revealed to us. So they're kind of describe the action. And it's not like linear. It's not like prepare your minds and then be sober-minded and then set your hope. It's that these things are going on. If you're doing one of them, you're doing the other. But they help us think about what is going on when we're setting our hope on the grace of Jesus. Um, but they're not, they're not linear, but they do take intentionality. That was one of the things that kept coming up last night as we were talking about uh, discipleship uh, at, with the men, is that there's uh, intentionality that is needed, that we need God's help with. And, and Peter is pointing us to this kind of uh, intentionality. To prepare our minds for action in the Greek, listen to this, is actually literally to gird the loins of your mind. That's, that's, what, that's, that, that's what it's saying in the Greek. Um, now, you probably didn't know your mind had loins, uh, 
but Peter is saying that we need to, to gird the loins uh, of our mind, and that takes incredible uh, intentionality. Obviously, it's, it's a metaphor, but if you're familiar with the Bible, it's a common phrase, um, and it means what the translator, translators say here, to prepare uh, our minds. But I, I think uh, here's a visual that you didn't know you needed when it comes to girding your loins. And so, and I, I was really curious. So there's, this is, again, so you're reading this in the Greek. This is what Peter is saying. It's, the, it's literally translated, how to, to gird your lo- the loins of your mind. And th- there's going to be a point to this besides humor, I promise. Uh, but there he is in step one, ungirded. He's not ready for anything. And then if you're ever wearing a tunic, now you'll know all the steps uh, you need to take to go from step one to step two. Look, he, he, you don't want to face that guy. His, his loins are girded. He's ready for action. He could move around. He can fight. Uh, he can do whatever. Um, but and here's the intentionality. I mean, you don't, you don't fall into your loins being girded. I don't, you don't. I didn't realize how much I was going to say loins in this, until this moment. But, uh, but the intentionality that it takes to get to, from step one to step two. Is, okay, you got to come back. We got we to get. We're, we're all. Okay. The intentionality it takes from getting to step one uh, to step six is incredible. It is significant. It's not just happening. And so we have to, when we're thinking about setting our hope, when we're thinking about a fault, we can go away from this or else we're just never going <laughs> to do anything else. Um, it takes incredible intentionality. And, and again, as uh, Peter is saying this, he's, he knows that there's gun going to be this battle. Like girding your, that's one of the things they would do before battle, as you could see this guy getting ready here. He, that they, there's this battle that is waging war in our minds and that we have to intentionally prepare our minds and set our hope on something that we're not typically setting our hope on. Like we are one way and we need to take intentional steps to become and think and consider other thoughts. And that's what Peter is pointing us towards. And, and the sober-mindedness kind of helps us focus this readiness. It's not just to, uh, again, gird the loins of our mind and just be ready for whatever haphazard activity we want to do. There's a sober-mindedness. There's a clear-thoughtedness. There's a, there's a seriousness to the reality that uh, we need to put our minds to. It's not just thinking uh, flippant things. It's thinking very clear-headedly. Again, we're not drunk-minded, but we're sober-minded. And we're not thinking about flippant things in serious ways. We're thinking about serious things in serious ways. The, the opposite of sober-minded is to do the opposite of that. You're thinking about flippant things as, as you should be thinking about serious things. Or you're thinking about serious things in very flippant ways. Uh, one of the ways we even share the gospel with others is to try to help us as a culture, as a people, so people that don't believe in Jesus. Uh, one of the things I would do when I was at the post office is really just be curious about what people believe. And it was just getting them to think deeper, more seriously about things that are serious. And, and just having that question, because a lot of people, when you start to have those conversations, you'll actually realize have been pretty flippant in how they've thought about Man, what makes sense of this world we're in? Why, why do I get up every day? What, what's going on here? Why are we here? Some people have thought deeply and come to different conclusions, but a lot of people haven't thought deeply at all. And so even just taking that step to help one another think deeply about those things, that's what Paul, uh, Peter sorry, is talking about uh, in this sober-mindedness. And, and I think we should pay attention to when we're thinking, when our thinking's opposite of that. I remember me and Ginger were watching this show a while back 
and I was so into it that I would catch myself uh, in the midst of the show praying for the character. And, uh, and I, not, not the actor of the character, that's actually would have been encouraging maybe, uh, but like for this fictional character that needs no prayers, uh, I was praying for this person. And that, that, that is an example of this. It's thinking serious thoughts about a flippant reality. I was a little too involved in that story. Um, and uh, obviously what we could easily pick on here is, is sports. Like I think you should enjoy your team, love your team, know your stats, have fun, all of that. But things like, man, you may not want to talk to him today because his team lost. Or, oh, man, it's going to be a bad night tonight because, like, okay, come on. <laughs> you know, let's, uh, that's, that's serious thoughts about something that shouldn't have that kind of weight. Uh, Peter is saying uh, we should prepare our minds to think sober-minded thoughts about things that need to be thought about uh, in this way, which is the hope that is set before us at the re- revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, and so these serious thoughts that Peter is pointing to us again, and if you finish out verse 13 there, is the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And even that, that first phrase that sets your hope fully uh, on this grace is that idea, I don't know if y'all remember this, but just to, like in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 48, when we talked about the verse, it says, therefore, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So that word perfect, what I was trying to explain in that uh, sermon when I talked about that, whether I did it good or bad, was actually, it's the same Greek word as fully, as set your hope fully. And so it's the idea of this single-minded. It's not, God's not calling us to be, you know, he knows we're not going to be perfect, but he wants us to be uh, single-minded. He wants us to be fully in, that there's, that we're all in with who he is and what he's doing and what he has called us to, that here it's this, that we're setting our hope fully on the grace that is to be uh, revealed to us, that we're all in. It's this, this Greek idea of, I guess, wholeness and fullness, that we're not divided, we're not, like what Jesus is pressing against, that we're not hypocrites, that we're not saying our hope is set fully and living completely different. Now, that does, living completely different doesn't mean we, we don't sin. Obviously, we sin. But it means we see our sin as people that have set our hope fully on the grace uh, that will be revealed at the day of Jesus Christ. We don't see it flippantly. We don't see it as the world sees it. We don't see it. We don't minimize it. But we see it for what it truly is. Um, and that's what he is getting at here. And so we set our hope fully. And then what do we set our hope fully on? Is, is grace. This common word that we're so familiar with, just unmerited favor, something we couldn't earn, something we don't deserve, something we find ourselves in need of. If you look at um, the people that receive grace in the scriptures, there's, a, there's a, a common word that's associated with those that receive grace. Let's look in 1 Peter 5, verse 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then says it, same phrase again in James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, And so these are the options that we have before us. These are the options that humanity has before it. That there's a pride that we're all born into, that we all have, uh, that we still are tempted to and bite into, but that we are all living in. And until we come to that place where 
Humility says, I actually don't have it figured out. There is actually something I need that I can't conjure up, I can't do, I can't make the right decision, I can't think the right thoughts. It actually has to come from outside of me because inside of me, it's not getting it figured out. It's not getting it done. I've tried it again and again, and it's those people that are ready to receive this kind of grace. That's what we said last week. Like if, you, if you think you're healthy and if you think you don't need Jesus, you're not the person Jesus came for. Jesus says, again, I came for the sick, not the healthy. Now, here's the thing. We all think we're healthy at some point until by God's grace we realize, no, I actually am sick. I am in need. I am in need of what Jesus has done for me. I can't figure it out or prove myself uh, in any other way. And that kind of humility is what leads to receiving this grace from God. But that's what we're putting our hope in. We're putting our hope in this grace. This is what, that's the substance uh, of our hope. Um, and then also, it's going to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So for those of us that are Christians, we have experienced grace. We know grace. We've tasted grace. It's been probably the most encouraging thing in our life at different seasons, although, again, we, it, we treat it flippantly. We, we stray. We do all kinds of other things. But we've had moments, if you're a Christian, where grace is just overwhelming to you. But here's the beauty of this verse. There is a way even those moments are going to be but a flicker compared to the reality of when we see the Lord Jesus. And grace will be brought to us in a way that we, we just can't even comprehend in this moment. That, that my most encouraging moments of experiencing God's grace will be like uh, just a dim view of what the fullness of how much I've needed Jesus and how much he has done for me and how much he's provided for me. When, that just even that phrase, unmerited favor, I will see how unmerited I was and how favorable he was uh, towards me, towards people like us that have not earned it and do not deserve it. And that, that is something that, again, we get to enjoy grace now, but there's something about setting our hope on that moment that, again, impacts uh, even the, the things we face uh, in these moments. So a lot here uh, in this one verse, but when we fully set our hope on the grace of Christ that awaits us and we prepare our minds for action, we're sober-minded, that will lead to what we see uh, in verse 14, these, these right actions. And we see as obedient children. I think that's an important thing as we're thinking about even what we're doing. Like we have this identity. Uh, one of the things that we falsely do in Christianity, we love Jesus, we're following him, he's given us his righteousness, uh, but we, we unfortunately still feel like we need to earn that righteousness. We still feel like we need to earn our identity. And so these statements like this are, are what Jesus is helping us. He's saying, this is your identity. Your identity is now one of an obedient child. We see how much we are not obedient children and we get our identity there. And Jesus is saying, no, I see that too, but I'm still saying you are an obedient child. This is his gift. This is what he has done for us. This is what he has given us. And this is the identity that we get to live out of um, as obedient children. I think, I mean, even children are always a good when we, are we instruct our children and they actually listen and they actually, we, we are trying to encourage them to go from a destructive behavior to a good, helpful behavior. That's what he's calling us to. But he's saying you are an obedient child and because of that, you get to choose. You get to not be conformed uh, to the ignorance of your past. He's get, but in, in we get to realize we get to choose something 
uh, different. But again, we have to come to grips with this question for non-Christians in here, perhaps. Would you ever consider yourself having been ignorant? Like, if we want to grow in wisdom, we have to confess how unwise we truly are. If we want to uh, realize that we can go away from ignorance, we have to realize what ignorance is. And this happens in coming to faith in Jesus, realizing, okay, I've built this whole thing on something that is not what's really going on. I was ignorant. And, and Jesus is true wisdom. And, and we get to, we need to, we have to uh, admit that. Um, but again, if you can't look back on 5, 10, 20 years ago and say, man, that guy was an idiot, uh, then I am concerned for you. Um, if you cannot look back on ignorance in your past and think, oh, man, then, then there's a good chance you've never confessed that or never really embraced that fully, uh, that there is ignorance in your life uh, that, that only Jesus makes sense of. Not someone else. You're not looking at someone else's life and be like, oh, that's what I need to do. No, it's just Jesus. It's... Uh, he is our perfect wisdom. Um, and then, again, we, we get to not be conformed by our sinful struggle, but I, by our identity as obedient uh, children. Um, and what, are, what are you being conformed by? As, as Christians, we, we struggle with this. As non-Christians, we're looking to something in this world to, to be shaped into. We want to be like this. We want to be like this man. We want to be like this woman. We want to be like this teenager. We want to be like this celebrity. We want to be like this friend. We want to be like this sports player. We're looking to something to conform our own image into. We will always do. There's no, no one's not doing that. Uh, we're all being conformed into something. And even if you're like conforming against that, you're with other people that are conforming against that. We're all conforming together. None of us are that unique in that way. Uh, we're all looking for something. Um, and so what are you being conformed to? What are your passions? What are your desires? And that's what leads that. Is it, is it to be successful? Then you're going to be conformed by those that you see as successful. Is it to fulfill the lust of your flesh? Then you're going to be conformed to those that you see doing that in their fullness. Um, is it being conformed to like the perfect American little family? Then you're going to give your life over to that and making sure your kids have every and any option that they could ever have and that you're stressing about, you know, your house and how it looks all the time. What, what, what are you being conformed into? Um, Jesus, is, uh, Peter is saying that, that there's this way we were conformed, these old ways, and now because we're obedient children, we get to be conformed to something completely different. Um, and so that's what he is calling us to, not to be conformed by our sinful past or struggles. Um, and, and I think what we, we miss here, it's just what we believe as teenagers, is that this, what we think is that this is a burden, not a joy. Like, like when Peter's telling us not to be conformed to our old passions, we're thinking, man, that's where the fun was. My old passions, that's when I got to have a lot of fun. God doesn't want me to have fun, and now I've got to do a bunch of stuff I don't really care about doing. Again, when we're doing that, we're living like a Pharisee. We're living the religious life. We're trying to live to a, a standards that we don't really believe in our own heart. Um, but this is what, when, we, when we at least can glimpse. It's kind of that idea of when I'm talking to my kids, and there's a difference between when they obey, and they actually agree with me, and they obey, but they don't agree with me. Like when I'm talking to them, like, hey, you know, maybe playing the PlayStation for that much longer is, is actually not a good idea. 
At times, they're like, you know what, I see that wisdom, and I'm, you know, you're right, even if they want to. And other times, they're like, well, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I don't understand why anybody would ever stop playing the PlayStation, and I do not agree with you. Uh, and we do that with Jesus. We're like, okay, he says this is right, so I'll probably do it, versus, you know what, he actually wants joy for me. He wants what's best for me. And we start to see that when our sin gets really destructive. And at that, those points, it can be even harder to change even though we want to, but, but we start to agree more um, when we see the effects of sin in, in our lives. Um, and, and he really, truly is calling us to joy. And I do want to acknowledge that many of us have grown up in religious settings where it's come off the wrong way, where we've been in churches where they have just been more about conforming to not doing certain things and doing the right things. Don't do all these bad things. Those are bad. You're bad if you do them. Do these good things. You're good if you do them. Um, and we've grown up in settings like that that are wrong and unhelpful and unhealthy. Um, and that can, that can mess us up here. But God is about our joy. He is not about that. Any obedience he calls us to, any dis- disobedience and ignorance he calls us away from is genuinely and completely and fully because he loves you, because he wants your joy, and he knows so much better than us. But again, don't we have to, in humility, say, man, we are ignorant, and you are right, and see what he would have for us. And Peter, again, is saying that we have been born to uh, this living hope. There is a new path to joy. Before this salvation, your best bet was what this world had to offer, financial gain, popularity, a romantic relationship, physical highs of some sort, or whatever your worldly pursuit is. Uh, But now that we've been born again, we realize that we were always actually made for something else. You you can't improve on C.S. Lewis here. You may be, be familiar with this from mere Christianity. He says this, the Christian says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find myself and if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on that the country, on to that country, and to help others to do the same. And this is what Peter is saying by not being conformed of the former ways of our ignorance. This is what Peter is saying by calling these Christians that he's writing to elect exiles. We're not home. This is not home. God made this to be our home. Sin entered this world and destroyed that home, is marring that home, and God has prepared a, a, a full and beautiful reality that every ounce of us really knows is what we need. Um, the, the deepest truth about us is that truth. Um, and, and every kind of disappointment in this world, even with the good things, 
uh, confirms that. This is what Peter is pointing us to. And instead of being conformed to the former ignorance, uh, he calls us to what he says in verse 15. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. I think it's important that he starts with, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. He starts with God's holiness. And what he's saying here is now as Christians, we're not conformed by our former ways. We're not conformed by who we were. We're actually conformed by who God is right now. Like the, the, isn't that the temptation for all of us is to believe, oh, this is who we really are. Oh, this is the temptation there is, oh, I've done these things. I've been this. I've lived this way. This is who I really am. But Peter is saying, no, you're actually conformed by, not by who you were, but by who God is right now. And he is holy. He is perfect. Um, and we get to continue to grow uh, in this holiness and be conformed more into uh, the image of this God that has saved us. And I think it's even important for us to consider, like, as we become more holy, we just listened to this thing by uh, Sam Alberry on discipleship for the, the guys thing, and he had such a great point that even as we become more holy, like if all of us were to become significantly more like Jesus in all of our lives, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't look more the same. We would actually look more different. We would become more the, the person that God has created us to be. Like God in, in, in his beautiful grand design has made us gifted in different ways, given us experiences and, uh, in, in different ways, and those things become more of who we are as we grow and who we are in Jesus. We don't become uh, these uh, you know, identical little people that all look and act the same. Uh, no, we get to even enjoy the diversity all the more as we become these holy people that uh, God has called us to. And then he quotes uh, Leviticus kind of to reiterate this point. Um, Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Just that, that phrase, you shall be holy. If you look at the totality of the scriptures, you see the Old Testament striving for this holiness. You see uh, God instituting uh, the sacrificial system to continually remind Israel how unholy they are and how holy God is. There's a, a longing, a desire, a striving, a, a desire for this kind of holiness. And then this is what it all points to is just this reality that, that holiness is this gift that we get to see in Jesus. Like if holy, holiness intimidates you, if holiness gives you great fear, if holiness gives you great pause, you should look at Jesus and feel nothing but great gratitude. Because in reality, holiness should give you all of those things. You are not holy. Holiness is a gift that is given to you and to me in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And outside of that, we have no hope. God, you are holy because God has made you holy. He made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God. We have no hope outside of him doing that. And so we get his holiness. And his holiness is a gift, but his holiness is also a pursuit. Again, it's just that song. If you tarry till, you'll be till you're better, you'll never come at all. So you can't, you can't wait until you're holy to start trying to figure out what this, you have to, God has to make you holy and then you get to pursue 
holiness as he is, you're, you're, again, as obedient children. You get to pursue being an obedient child because he has made you an obedient child. We get to pursue holiness because Jesus in his kindness and his grace has given us his holiness. None of us have earned that, but we get to receive it by grace. This is, again, the grace that we know now, but we'll see fully uh, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, the Christian always is becoming what we already are. Um, and, and Peter is writing to these brothers and sisters and constantly trying to remind them the difference between the temporary and the eternal. That we can spend these few moments grasping for things that will perish or we can intentionally set our minds on all we have in Christ. And so just one practical kind of step for us as we close. As I was thinking about you know, what, what, what would it look like to really try to focus on this, to really have, to try to give us some kind of handle of what this would look like in our lives, to uh, prepare our minds for action, to, to be sober-minded, to set our hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to us um, in the coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, one of the things I thought we could pray about is when we're thinking about what's temporary and what's eternal, one thing that we know is eternal is every person we've ever seen. Uh, every person that's in our life right now, every friend we have, every family member we have, uh, every church uh, member we're a member with, um, that, that those are, are the people in our lives that are eternal. And, and, and so there's a way that we can, uh, there's a way that circumstances cause us to despise those very people. There's a way that, like, Crying babies make us feel uncomfortable. Um, and we're thinking, okay, I've got to just figure out this situation. As opposed to, this is an eternal soul that I have care over right now in this moment. Um, like there's, there's a way that we uh, can have eternity in mind and set our hope fully on the revelation of the grace that will be revealed when Jesus Christ comes uh, as we look to the people in our lives. And there's other Christians that when we look to them, we can desire that for them, that it imagines how we, uh, how we interact with them. There's non-Christians in this world that when we're thinking about their eternal souls that would compel us to interact with them in a different kind of way. And again, that doesn't mean we bazooka them with the gospel. It just means we change our thoughts. We think, man, this is, this is an eternal soul here that God has created in His image. No matter their cognitive ability, their physical abilities, uh, their skin color, their family of origin, their ethnicity, this is a person that's been created in the image of God and will live forever. So what does it look like to me, for me to not treat them as I normally would, as I used to, for my own purposes, uh, but to look at them as uh, these eternal souls that will live forever? And so I would encourage you just to pray about that consider that in, in uh, our, our moments as we continue on in our service and, and what would it look like for that shift uh, to happen uh, in our lives. That this has been my prayer for us as a church as I've thought about this week, that we would just be a church that continues to grow uh, in considering this reality that Peter's laid before us. So let me pray for us in that way now. Lord Jesus, uh, I, I'm just, I am reminded of how even 
Tears and cries are a sign of life. I'm reminded how struggle is a sign, a, a reminder of life. I'm reminded about all the people in my life that I can struggle significantly with. People I love, people I do enjoy. Um, and how often I can just view them in a very temporary way. About my own temporary needs in that moment or in this moment. Um, so I, I just thank you for your word. It's called me to something else and called me to something that is truly joy. Uh, so Spirit, would you help us be this kind of church that, that views each other through these lenses? Uh, that, that we take intentional time to, to prepare our minds and to think deeply about deep things, to be sober-minded, to be clear-headed about the, the things of eternity, about the things of grace, about the, the realities of pride in our life that we need to lay down so that we might receive and enjoy more and more of your grace. Uh, there, there's so many days and moments of every day where we're tempted to the very opposite of this. So Spirit, we, this is a miracle. It's a miracle that you do in our lives and, and we, need you, uh, we need your help. And so would you, would you do that? In Jesus' name, amen.